Let me read the, the scripture. I'm going to read two passages of scripture. And it is Easter Sunday. At Harbor City, we don't do a good Friday service. So, you know, traditionally you would reflect on the death of Jesus on Friday, silence on Saturday, and reflect on the resurrection on Sunday. We haven't done the Friday part, so we're going to try and do both. Uh, reflect on the, on the death and the resurrection uh, today. And uh, so I'm going to read two passages. We're going to look at that um, at the end, tell a little bit of a story, and then we'll close. So the first passage is from Matthew 16. And Matthew 16, verse 13 says this. When G Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Our second passage is from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. It says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. For if, in, for if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. Can I pray? Father, just pray for us. For your, thank you for your word. Just pray, Lord, even as we reflect on your death and resurrection through these passages, that you would... Uh, Come speak to us, you would challenge us, you would move us closer to yourself, um, and, and that you would draw us into life in you, in Jesus' name. So, Matthew 16, it's uh, such an interesting passage. Uh, it's, it's a passage I, I really find fascinating, because Peter gets rebuked. 
But he doesn't just get rebuked. This is like the worst kind of rebuke you can get. I mean, imagine being called Satan. Like, you just think you're the biggest deal in the disciples. You are Peter. Like, he's had this incredible moment with Jesus. Uh, and then you get this rebuke. I mean, he, he gets called Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You know, and I, I don't know about you, but like, that is insanely hectic. Like, he's just had the most hectic rebuke um, from probably the highest moment of his life at that point, this commendation from Jesus, this uh, affirmation that uh, he's on the right track, that he's beginning to understand who Jesus, is, who Jesus is. And he's gone from this moment of like, he's beginning to understand who Jesus is to all of a sudden, boom, rebuked, get behind me, Satan. It's like, how did I go from there to like, I'm the worst human being on the earth kind of vibe? And uh, what's interesting about this is uh, if you look in the book of Mark and here, it comes right at like the center point of Jesus' ministry. It comes at the turning point of Jesus' ministry, where for the first half of Jesus' ministry, people are beginning to understand Jesus as Lord, that this is Jesus who is powerful, Jesus who can walk on water, Jesus who can feed the 5,000, Jesus who can pretty much do whatever he wants. He's healing everyone. He's feeding people. I mean, people are just following Jesus around. Uh, he goes to people's home, heals their sick. People come to him to get healed. I mean, he's pretty spectacular to this point. And, and that Peter has recognized that. You are the Messiah. You are the one we've been hoping for. And then comes the turning point. From that point on, it says, Jesus begins to talk about his death. And now Peter begins to get really uncomfortable. It's like, we, we like Jesus who can walk on water. Great. Love that. Jesus who can walk on water. I'm sure everyone would love that, friend can walk on water, you can heal the sick, you can, like, Jesus is amazing. If you forgot your lunch behind, don't worry, Jesus is going to provide. Like, Jesus can do, do it all, you know, no need to go to the doctor, we've got Jesus, you know, no need to bring lunch, we've got Jesus, no need for, like, Jesus is incredible to, at that point. And then he begins to speak about his death, uncomfortable, like, wait a minute, Jesus, like, please don't die. We don't want you to die. We're living our best lives right now. And also, they're feeling important because they're walking with Jesus. They're like Jesus' disciples. Here you've got, like, one of the most popular people at the time walking around, and you like the people next to him. You're like, we're loving this. What, you're going to know, like, this is not good for our reputation. This is not good for, like, the vision of our lives. You've changed how we see things turning out. Um, so what most of the commentators will say is they say they imagine at this point they wanted to make Jesus king. They imagined that when the Messiah came, he was going to overthrow the Roman ruler. He was going to ride in with power and they began to see his power. They saw his power at work and they were like, Jesus is going to overthrow Caesar. Like he is going to break the hold that the Roman Empire has had on them. He's going to break the oppression. Israel is going to rise to its power again. We're loving Jesus. What, you're going to die? Like, huh? This doesn't go with our plan. Like, and you've only been doing this for like three years. Um, and so what does Peter do? Peter does the logical thing. Like, Jesus, 
you've lost your mind. Maybe ministry's got a little bit too hectic for you. Maybe you're feeling a little bit burnt out. Jesus, you're not going to die. Like, why? like, you're maybe a bit depressed right now. You're a little bit tired. It's, you know, just, Jesus, you're not going to die. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes him. Um, and there's a reality about this is that we don't like this side of Jesus so often. We don't like the death side. We love the miracle side. We love the God who can provide. The God who is going to suffer is a little uncomfortable. You know, we love the God who is going to do stuff for us. We love the God who is going to help us live our best life. We love the God who is going to make us happy. We love the God who is like the eternal slot machine of hope, you know, like, yes, we're going forward. He's going to provide. We're going to have money. But like the God who is going to suffer, the God who is going to die, the God who is going to go through that, who's not going to be around, this is really uncomfortable. Peter finds it really uncomfortable. But what happens is Peter misses what Jesus is about. He just misses it totally. He misses how God is going to bring about his redemption. He, he misses not just what, how God is going to do that, but he misses the problem with the world. Um, and I think this is what, so often what happens with us and what the cross reminds us. When we come and we reflect on the death of Jesus, what it reminds us is the tragic state of the world in which we're in. It reminds us of the brokenness, of the depravity of the world that we live in. Jesus himself subjected himself to death, to the pain, to the tragedy, to the brokenness of humanity. He was going to die. Peter could not handle this. Peter could not handle this. I wonder how many of us struggle with the idea of suffering I wonder how many of us struggle with the idea of suffering in Christianity, um, of, of the fact that so many people, uh, so many Christians over the years have died as martyrs, have, have gone through incredible tragedies of how many people suffer, and, and that's a really difficult thing for us to handle. I think what we learn in the death of Jesus is we learn that God is deeply aware of suffering. He's deeply aware of the brokenness of humanity. He's deeply aware of the state in which our world is in. He's so deeply aware of it because he walked through it himself. He willingly walked through it. He willingly subjected himself to torture and suffering and pain and death. And in the death, we see God taking on the suffering, the brokenness, the depravity of the world. Then we get the resurrection. We'll come back to the death just now. But we get the resurrection. Uh, some commentators have said Corinthians is a little bit of an exposition of the resurrection. 
culminating in chapter 15, this long 58-verse chapter that is just about the resurrection. And uh, I read that passage in, in 15 that was kind of like, you know, saying the same thing, if he died, didn't die, you know, you know, you're like, stop it, Paul, like, why are you saying this over and over and over again? Like, confusing, what are you saying? But it, you know, Paul brings the whole of Corinthians to this like climax in, in chapter 15 where he defends the Christian faith and he defends the Christian faith based on the resurrection. And he says this because many people in Corinth at the time were arguing that Jesus didn't die and you know, he didn't rise again. And you know, it's not a big deal anyway if Jesus didn't rise again. And what Paul was saying, no, no, this is the biggest deal. Like if you miss the resurrection, you miss the whole thing. That's what, what he's essentially saying. Like, if you miss the resurrection, you've missed it all. Like, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are of all men, uh, he says, the most to be pitied. Like, what kind of like weird story are we telling ourselves? What kind of weird story is the church telling itself? Uh, you know, year after year for the last 2,000 years, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, the resurrection is central and utterly important to the Christian faith. That Jesus did not just subject himself to the pain and the suffering of the world, but that he broke that pain and suffering through his resurrection. Paul says that Jesus, he goes on to say, Jesus is the first fruits of new creation. That in Jesus we see the beginning of the start of the new world. We see the beginning of the start of God making all things new. In Jesus, we see the light breaking into the darkness. In his resurrection, we see the hope of what is to come. If suffering reminds us of the brokenness that is prevalent in the world, then the resurrection reminds us of life, that there is a life beyond this life, a life after suffering, a world in which there one day will be no tears, no pain, no brokenness, a world of new creation. What happens is, if you go read in the end of Acts chapter 17, when people hear of the resurrection, it says that they, they scoffed at Paul. Paul was preaching about the resurrection. They scoffed at Paul. They laughed. They're like, what is this like talking about the resurrection? And they left. But some were intrigued, stayed, and began to believe, it says. Uh, and I think what happens is, is you and I, we often reject Christianity for two reasons. We reject it either because how can a God die? Like suffering, prevalent, like you know, we reject it because of suffering or we reject it because of mystery. How could there be a resurrection? But the church over 2,000 years has believed over and over again that Jesus died and he rose again and that in his death and in his resurrection we see the hope of Christianity. Um, I don't know if any of you have read a book. Uh, um, it's called. It's by a guy called Jim Collins. It's a business book called From Good to Great. 
Um, and in that book, he tells the story of a guy called James Stockdale. And he talks about the Stockdale principle or the Stockdale paradox. Uh, so James Stockdale was, uh, uh, he was the highest ranking U.S. Army person who was captured in the Vietnam War. Um, and he, he was in prison for, for a number of years. And because he was the highest ranking uh, officer, he was subject to many numbers of torture. They say he was tortured over 20 times while as a prisoner of war. But what they found fascinating by this guy uh, James Stockdale's, when he came back, he was one of the few guys that didn't have any PTSD, and they couldn't understand why he had almost no post-traumatic stress from this. And they began to interview him and find out what made his experience uh, so different. And not only that, but he brought back in the people who are in the uh, uh, kind of the prisoners with him. He was the one who brought back more U.S. people than anyone else during that, that period that managed to survive and come through, through that period. So they began to interview him and try and figure out what it was. And one of the things he said, he said, when he first got captured, there were a number of people that were super optimistic. And he sat there and he thought, the optimists, they're dead. There's no chance they're going to survive six months. Uh, and the optimists were always the first people to die. Um, and, and he said the reason why the optimists were the first people to die is, is that they couldn't take their hope being broken. They always thought next week they would get out. Next week we will be rescued. Next month. It's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, and eventually they realized they weren't going to be rescued. And their spirits would break. And they, they would end up dying as prisoners of war. But he said the one thing that he learned right from from the start is that you have to brutally take stock of the facts he says and the first thing he, he said to himself is i am in here for a long time and i have to be ready to be tortured in a hectic way and he said he just had to, there was a brutal realism that he had to embrace this is bad it's hectic I'm going to be here for a long while. He would tell all his colleagues, he was like, guys, we are not getting rescued this year. And they're like, what? He's like, we're not getting rescued this year. It's going to be hard. We're going to suffer. We're going to be tortured. Deal with it. Um, that was the first thing, was to take stock of like how it's, he called it a brutal realism, just being able to take stock of the facts and realize we're here and it's going to be painful. And then he said, the, the second thing that he had was an unshakable hope that one day it would be okay. And he talked about remembering, like imagining the day when he got off the plane to see his wife and kids. Uh, he said, I, I would think about that day, that one day I'm going home and I'm going to see them. And he said, one day I'm going to talk about this moment as my most defining moment in my life. And he, he said, so I would take stock of the fact that this is going to be brutally hard, but in the end, there is a hope coming. Uh, and that's what he would do for, for the people he, he was in uh, uh, prison with uh, at that time, is he would say to them, he'd say, guys, we're here for the long haul, deal with it. But when you get home, 
what meal are you going to eat? And then they would all talk, you know, like they're going through hectic stuff and they'd be like, I'm going to have oxtail, you know, or like macaroni. I just, I'm going to have macaroni when I get home. But they would talk about things like it's going to happen even though it's not going to happen for a long time. And they call this the Stockdale Paradox. It's like a brutal realism with an unshakable hope. It's a brutal realism with an unshakable hope. I think what the Easter story is, is it's a brutal realism with an unshakable hope. It's the brutal realism that there is tragedy and pain and brokenness in the world. That when God came to the earth, Jesus himself subjected himself to the pain and the suffering and the brokenness of the world. He died. But there is an unshakable hope. Eleven out of the twelve disciples were martyred. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, as we know the Easter story kind of goes, who denied Jesus three times, one day would subject himself to being martyred. And when they would, when they were about to martyr him and hang him on the cross as well, he asked them to hang him upside down because he didn't feel worthy of dying like his master Jesus had died. The person who had gone, who had denied Jesus, who had gone through the shame saw in the resurrection an unshakable hope that he could subject himself to incredible suffering and pain the christian story the message of easter is this that we live in a fallen and broken world but in the resurrection we get a glimmer of a hope that is to come In the new creation of Christ himself being resurrected, we begin to see the hope of new creation so that we can go through the incredible brokenness of the world, not as as those who do not have hope, but those who have a picture of what is to come. I I believe that God heals people. Uh, I genuinely believe that. But what I really believe is that every person will be healed. But I may not believe that every person will be healed right now. I believe that one day everyone will be healed because Christ has risen from the dead. And that in new creation, in the resurrection, every pain, every sickness, every brokenness, the tragedy of this world is going to give way to the victory of Christ. In the Easter story, I think we as Christians can live like James Stockdale. We can live with a brutal realism about the state in which we live now, but with an unshakable hope that one day, all will be put right by Christ. In the death, the disciples mourned. In the death, the disciples' worlds were shattered. In the talking of the death, Peter could not handle that this was going to happen. But all changed when they realized that Christ was going to rise again. That one day, the pain and the tragedy of the present will give way to the hope and the glory of the future. Can I pray? Don and the band are going to come up and they...
going to do a song for us, but I want to pray for us. who's in the room and uh, and what we might be going through but uh, my prayer for us as Harbour City is that we would be able to live brutally real lives with unshakable hope because of Jesus' death and resurrection and so Lord I pray for every single person here some of us have been hit with tragedy. Some of us feel like we've been hit with tragedy after tragedy, pain after pain, difficulty after difficulty. And I pray this Easter we'll remember the death of Christ, that you were subject to the pain, the brokenness of this world, the sin. That you subjected yourself to it. But I pray also that we would look up and that we would see you, Jesus, risen again. And in your resurrection, we would have an unshakable hope. An unshakable hope. A hope that in the end, may not be right now, but in the end, you will make all things right. In the end, you will execute your justice. In the end, you will heal our land. In the end, you will dry up every tear. In the end, the lion and the lamb will sleep together. In the end, Lord, you will bring, be victorious and your righteousness will flow like the rivers across our land. In the end, the pain and the brokenness of this world will give way to your life. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts. In the midst of the pain that some of us are going through, you would, Lord, help us to see an unshakable hope that comes because of a resurrected Christ. As Paul says, we have hope not just because you rose, but because we too will rise with you. We have hope not just because you came alive, but because in your life we will have life. We have hope not because you've just been made new, but because through you, Lord, you are making all things new. And so, Lord, we thank you for Easter. We thank you that 2,000 or so years ago, you died. You died for our sins. And you rose again to give us life.
Don and the band are going to sing a song. You can stand if you want. Uh, you might not know the words. It's a